Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing writers Howard Wong and Josh Stafford. They wrote the five-part miniseries, Dan Kirsch Children, from Source Point Press that recently wrapped up, but will be released in trade paperback on July 28th. Now, the preview code, it's, um, it is May, M-A-Y, Two one one seven one one. So, um, also a little bit of a history. Um, our first, when I first interviewed Howard and Josh, our first interview was back in, I believe, in March, and that episode is the Comics for Fun and Project podcast, episode six twenty two. So, if you're a new listener, if you want to check that episode out, please feel free to do so. Um, so, again, I want to welcome. Howard and Josh, thank you very much um, for coming back onto the show. Thank you very much, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you for having us back, man. Oh, thank you. All right. So where can listeners um, follow you on social media? Ooh, that's a good question. You can go to my blog, which is howard-wong.blogspot.com. My other social media accounts, you can link from there, from Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook as well, so you can find me there uh, everywhere. <laughs> and for Josh, I'm I'm never superb at my own social media, but I'm on Facebook under Bat Turtle and mm-hmm. Instagram under Bat Turtle underscore Mayfair because I wasn't quick enough to get my Bat Turtle tag on there. But then uh, professionally, I'm much of the social media for the Mayfair Theater, which is at Mayfair Theater on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm on there every day giving updates about the cinema and talking about movies and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm more on for that, but I, I try to do the other stuff as well. All right. So now before we continue, I want to let our listeners know, you know, there may be spoilers in this episode. So, you know, as always, just a warning spoilers. So, you know, please, if you guys want to uh, stop this and read the, the, you know, find your cop, find your copies or pick up the trade, um, you know, please, you know, um, you know, just, um, you know, just hit pause, you know, read the comic, read the trade, and come back to this, um, come back and check out this episode. Now, um, Howard and Josh, I just want to give a brief history of how you guys met um, and how the series began. So I'm just going to give a real brief rundown of how you guys met. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, You guys met in 2007 at San Diego Comic-Con. You guys started to write um, Damn Cursed Children. Actually, you guys started to work on Damn Cursed Children um, about 10 years ago. And about and in 2018, you guys started to talk to Source Point Press about this miniseries. Um, is that correct? And did I miss anything? No, I don't think you missed anything. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. When you mentioned the years, because of what we're going through, the time, the time, times, and dates are like all over the place in my brain. But it sounds right, mm-hmm. Josh. Is that right? About right to you? Yeah, that's about right. And then in that time, we weren't working on Damn Cursed Children like a full time job, but mm-hmm. we were working on it. And Robin had a bulk of the artwork done. And mm-hmm. then once Source Point Press got involved, we in that next while. Robin got everything finished. So it, it was, which is, I think, a really wise idea for publishers to do nowadays, like have the art done because 
Yes. If not, it could. I I will never forget talking with Jim Lee to name drop. Talking with Jim Lee at San Diego Comic Con, and my favorite writer is Grant Morrison. And at the time, he was doing a Wildcats book, Jim Lee and Grant Morrison. And we were just chatting, and I said, "Oh, how's the new book going?" And I believe at the time, number one had just come out, and number two, it was like three, four, five months late. And he just kind of smirked and went, "Yeah, I might not be getting back to that." And now it's 2021, and that book has still not come out. So Jim is, I don't know, 13 years behind. On, so I don't know what happened with that book. I don't know if Grant Morrison has scripts sitting somewhere in the Wildstorm offices. But anyhow, so I think the modern editor, the modern publisher is like, no, you finish your five books, then we'll solicit it. So mm-hmm. so yeah, so that, that's where we were when uh, when the books were, were solicited a while back. Wow. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. When you went to talk to Jim, was it in the Hyatt bar when, uh, when we were hanging out there or you yeah. did it on your own? Okay. Yeah, that was okay. Jim. And that's where I got to chat with Eric Larson that night as well. Some of the image guys were there. So oh, that was a crazy night because so many things happened that night. It was, it was nuts. I can't go through a lot of it because it's being professional and all, but there were, con- I kid you not, there were convention organizers who came up to us. It's like, yeah, I'm not with so-and-so anymore. So I'm doing my own thing. Like, and then two seconds later, the other person who they were partnered with was like, yeah, we're still doing running a show. You're still coming to our show. It's like, I don't know. I'm sort of half drunk. I guess so. Yes. <laughs> it's like, we're like, was this just me? It was a bunch of us. So we were sort of like, it was like all these things happening. And we were like still at the door at that point. And then we walked in and more things happened. It was crazy. Nerd drama. That was a crazy year. Honestly, that was like, the, I think the, the best San Diego year ever yeah in my life I, I hands down i think so because i hey, first i met you too eh? so that's why yeah, dear diary this is the best <laughs> san diego ever because i met josh absolutely i'll tattoo it across my chest <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm gonna ask and it's and you know i'm gonna ask this question and it's basically for our new listeners or listeners um who've never heard about this series or may have heard about it um can you guys give a brief description of the story? Yeah, I think we can. I mean, sure. I, I mean, we can say in a world. <laughs> yeah, you guys can. Yeah. You want an old movie voice there? All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. In a the world quick, where. Maybe quick, a quick one? You go for quick, a quick one. The quick pitch is that um, one of our main characters is a daycare teacher and she, wake, she is at work and everything seems normal. She hears something strange outside opens the window and sees a world gone mad with children chasing adults, cars crashing, people jumping out of windows to avoid these little monsters. And then we quickly quickly realize that without any reason, without any explanation, every child on earth has turned into a damn cursed child. And throughout the next five issues, it's a day in the life story of a batch of strangers getting together to try to survive against these insane turn of events so you know a real life story (laughs) so you know um i read the series i loved it um a couple things that i really love about it was it's kind of like it it's like that twilight zone premise where it's a normal day and something extraordinary happens and how do people react to it you know so that's that's what I love about it. The other thing too, I'm going to stress to the listeners that this is not a commentary on the current pandemic. So if someone picks, if someone listens to this podcast ten years from now, 
you know, like, oh, damn cursed children. They, it's about the pandemic. And no, it's not. And also, too, I'm going to make it clear to our listeners, to me, it is not a zombie story. Now, when I, you know, when I read the series, like I said, it was fun. It, I loved it. it. It's a fun horror story. Do you guys want to add anything else to that? Well, well, you nailed some of some of the key things for sure. Because a lot of people assumed that it was a zombie story, but mm-hmm. none of the children were the living dead, mm-hmm. and they do well. They do perish like mm-hmm. any you know living uh, being. Mm-hmm. But uh, the only difference is that they're feral and a little different than normal kids. I would say mm-hmm. behaving and trying to eat everybody around them and stuff. So. Yeah, it's, it is, you know, what it is. It's a horror action uh, story. And you really mentioned something that I don't think Josh even thought about, which it was like, it is like the Twilight, like the old school Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. I didn't even think about it, which I loved watching as a kid, which I totally forgot about that. That would have been great for the pitch. <laughs> it would have been, been, <laughs> been good for the pitch there, Jason. I, I think it's just, but. it's a lot more fast paced than a Twilight Zone, but oh, it yes. definitely has that, normal people in a weird situation that isn't necessarily explained afterwards mm-hmm. um yeah i love that kind of stuff and yeah and, and we're not a zombie story but i i'm insanely influenced by george romero and i think mm-hmm. even just the setting of of a bunch of people a bunch of normal people who mm-hmm. aren't overly skilled or action heroes fighting against something yes. and that was in night of living dead and that was mm-hmm. in dawn of the dead and, and mm-hmm. that and with real world surroundings. And so, yeah, there's definitely that influence, but I always joke that I get defensive if people call it a zombie story in the yes. same way that, that, that like a little nerd kid is like, no, his name's not Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monster. You know, it's like <laughs> these, these, these little horror cliches. So, but yeah, it's like, like they they don't spread the virus. They don't come mm-hmm. crawling out of a grave. You don't got to shoot them in the head. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're mortal mm-hmm. despite their, their, fast monster scary mm-hmm. uh, uh turn yes so yeah these are definitely their own their own monsters that could be connected to the family tree of a zombie somewhere but they're definitely not mm-hmm. zombie. even one one of our people who we got a quote from mentioned that on the back that when they started they thought it was a zombie movie zombie comic but then we're so pleased that it was something different and that the word zombie isn't even once in the book at all yeah um the other thing too i um what i love about the story is for the kids, it, it everyone, all the kids changed at once. It right. wasn't a domino effect where somewhere someone got a virus, bit someone, then it's then it, then it starts to become a domino effect. But it was just it just happened at one time, you know. Um, Sam, the uh, the daycare um, the daycare teacher, you know, hears that crash, and then all of a sudden she hears something in in the room. She turns and. All the kids are up, uh, you know, <laughs> at one time. Yeah, that, that was like we we would we talked about it for not for a very long time. We talked about how we would reveal that change, and it's like why don't you just do it all at once and see what happens? Because I've never seen is because if you look at and then I keep we, go, we keep harping back to it. But it's all right. The zombie films they slowly pro- progress in that, that part of the story mm-hmm. uh, it's an infection that's going to spread and as it spread it snowballs and then exponentially you have more zombies than people so you know mm-hmm. quotations so you know for, for us we just wanted to see what would happen if it all happened at once and then see how people would react to it 
So it was more, it's more of us seeing as a, a writing vehicle standpoint is could, could it work? Mm-hmm. And we just started, started going at it. And then uh, well, we obviously we didn't stop because it, the idea it just was really good from that point. Cause it was just you know, one small nugget of what would, what would if we do it this way? And then mm-hmm. how would it progress? And then we just ran with it and it just became what it is, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. I don't think things have to be explained all the time mm-hmm. to have a good story still. And, you know, if push came to shove, if somebody years ago was like, we're going to give you a big truck full of money, but you have to put in the origin story. We'd figure something out, you know, yeah. we're, we're right. We're writers, but I really like stuff, stuff like night of living dead, where it just happens. They, yeah. There's little hints, but they never really explained why the zombies happen. Yes. And uh, creature from the black lagoon. They're like, yeah. Oh, there's a creature here, but they never say, Oh, it happened because of nuclear waste or it's mm-hmm. uh, it evolved from something. They're just, Nope, that's a, that's our monster. So I think for our story, it was focused more on the characters and just the yes. the the push of the story that it's a a fun kind of action adventure horror. Mm-hmm. So you still need good characters because if not, it just becomes kind of a boring slasher movie. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I was never. I don't think we were ever really concerned about saying, "Oh, we need we need somebody to say it was that," and pointing at a, a you know nuclear waste mm-hmm. dump or something. Yes. Yeah, because the thing that was the other thing too is that that's what I loved about the series is that no one stopped and for, and just started to go, well, this is what happened. This is how climate change, blah 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 blah. It, it was just, you know, how do we get to safety? How do we, you know, you know, um, um, you know, there there are like um, some key funny moments like I think um, um, Daisy the millennial. You know, she comes running back to her, you know, her apartment, yeah, her townhouse or apartment with her roommate. And then one of her roommates goes, you know, what happened? What's with that kid? You know, and then Daisy goes, I went out to get coffee, you know, and she sees, and she holds up that bag of, you know, that broken bag of coffee. (laughs) And it's pretty cool because, you know, nobody stands around and starts explaining, you know, how the origin came about it's just this we need to just keep going make sure we're all safe and that was pretty good yeah yeah that, that was one of the things that i wanted to make sure that we didn't fall into was those tropes where it's like we're going to have this expert for whatever reason be part of the group because they just so happen to be maybe having coffee in the in the street and they got into the truck and now they can explain everything and maybe even you know solve the mystery of what's going on i didn't want that i wanted how I wanted to focus on the people who wouldn't have that opportunity, like the real, the real, the realistic part of it, where if you're in, in that situation, God forbid we ever are, you know, mm-hmm. how we, we react and how far we would go. That was my, that was the thing that drove me to explore the characters. Like how far do we push these people? How far mm-hmm. we would go to stay alive? Like mm-hmm. I mean, we have some characters like Ted who went to town <laughs> on, the, yeah. on the kids, right? Because, he, he, for his character, he's like a total survivor. Yes. He's a cut. He's a cutthroat kind of guy. He yes. basically sees the end goal uh, as to justify his means. Yeah. So everything he did wasn't like he was like he wanted to do it, mm-hmm. but you know he had to do it to get where he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So every character has a, a different kind of motivation and survivability. If you want to call mm-hmm. it that. So it made it very interesting for us to write, but very difficult to say who is going to die. 
because we made, we built them up to be well likable characters. They're actually realistic, and you, you actually want to you want you know at one point it's like do we make them all survive? Like we can't. We know we both discussed like no, that doesn't really work out because realistically some of them won't make it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we 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 so it's a little different from the traditional zombie stories and movies that uh, we all love though, mm-hmm. uh, but very different that from that aspect. So it made a challenge. It was, it was, I don't say challenging, but it was definitely very different and refreshing to write it that way, I yes. think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what were some of the reactions to the miniseries? You know, both from like, um, from your you know, peers, other writers, to even fan reaction. It's been Ooh. pretty great. It's, uh, you know, because you never know, like a book could come out I'm sure, uh, you know, books better than ours have come out and not found attention. It, it, mm-hmm. A lot of it is, is luck, like whether you're a, a filmmaker or a band or a painter. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes it's just like, you know, meeting the right people or being in the right place at the right time. So when we finally got this book out, and especially that it came out during a worldwide pandemic that's happened for the first time in 100 years, mm-hmm. then there was a thought of like, uh, maybe we shouldn't release this right now. But besides for all the trouble, it, it's turned out really great just talking with so many uh podcasts and doing so many interviews really nice reaction from comics shops Mm -hmm. and and from from our our friends and and our peers and and just some people who i really admire enjoying the book and then giving us quotes for the trade and just stuff Mm -hmm. like that so and and every time howard's done a really good job of keeping track of all the the shops that have sold out and and spreading the word on that and and, you know, I'm sure they're not Death of Superman numbers, but mm-hmm. every, every time a store sold out of five copies or ten copies, that's amazing. And and that means we were talking to a number of people and they were, they were struggling to get a hold of them. And all of that is good news because that means that our publisher will notice that, the stores will notice that, they'll mm-hmm. try to order more. And our publisher has seen that, oh, there's people out there who like this book. And hopefully now getting to this step of a, of a trade that might open us up even to more readers who might not step into a comic store, but will order online or from their local mm-hmm. bookshop or from a, a bigger place. So it's, it's uh yeah, like, like the, the job's not done yet. We're, we're still in the trenches a little bit here. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the reaction, I'll, I'll be, it sounds bad. It sounds like we're going to, we're going to find out later on if it's going you know, to bite me in the bud, but we've, we've looked at uh, different reviews and, talked to a lot of different people and some people who posted you know because there are just people who actually enjoyed the book and posting it on social media that it's all been positive uh, hasn't been like a lot of strong negativity towards what we did mm-hmm. I mean, if it was it was maybe like you know subjective art thing or what have mm-hmm. you but nothing like i hated this book it's crap mm-hmm. nothing like that so i it, it was it was refreshing and nice to, to have all this positive uh reactions to each issue that popped out i mean mm-hmm. i remember reading somebody who was collecting it and then they said that issue four was great they could have ended it here but then he read five and then and then he like you guys are bonkers because you went you, you, I, what the hell you went further than you know than than we had to and you know that's that was that was like a, you know, one of those moments where you're like we did good <laughs> because <laughs> because you know Getting issue one out, getting up to issue four out of the five is great, mm-hmm. and then you you hold your breath for the for the the last issue to, to hope that people 
uh, find the ending satisfying. So far, people have been, you know, very, very supportive and happy about it. So I'm, I'm happy about that myself. Um, as for like uh, industry people, the professionals and stuff, I, mean, I sent it out to uh, some people to actually get quotes from. So mm -hmm. we, because you know, like anything, you, you don't expect them to give you anything. You like, if they have the time yeah. and they enjoy it, you know, great. If you don't, don't worry about it, you know, yeah. it's cause you know, it's just, it's really a favor if, if anything, right. For them to do that, mm -hmm. uh, to spend their own time to do that. So I sent um, a copy to Steve Niles, mm -hmm. uh, the law five issues. And he gave us a quote that we put on the cover. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't quote the quote. I don't know why anyone has it. But he, he really enjoyed, uh, actually, no, he gave us two quotes. Sorry, my bad. He gave us two different quotes. Um, so we have both of them in the book, one on the cover and one inside. And he really enjoyed it, which is great. Um, he highly recommended it. So I was like, that's so awesome. Because if anyone who doesn't know Steve Niles first, what the hell? But um, look up 30 Days of Night, start mm -hmm. from there, and then follow all his books, to be honest, because... Mm -hmm. He is one of those amazing horror writers or dark fantasy writers or dark urban fantasy writers, if you mm -hmm. want to call it, it's different labels, but he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and he does it very, very well. Um, another person I sent it out to was uh, Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm -hmm. um, in honesty, I was asking to see if he can get a quote or something, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, because, you know, you never know, right? And yeah. then... The same day, a few hours later, he sent us what turns out to be an introduction to our trade paperback because mm -hmm. he sent a whole essay kind of thing to us. So I just sort of sat there wondering, I did send it to the right Jimmy Pomiati. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. I've been talking to him for like, for like decades, so I'm pretty sure it's the right guy. And I sent it to Josh and Bob and I'm like, so I got this. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess we're gonna, I guess we're adding this to the uh, trade. Um, and, but it was amazing. He was really supportive, very positive about it. He loved mm -hmm. what we were doing. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you send it out that you don't know. I mean, Josh sent it out to a few people. He can talk about himself because he sent it out to a few amazing people as well. Yeah, the, the Jimmy thing blows my mind. And, you know, th this is no new news. The, mm -hmm. the, the comic world loves Jimmy Palmiotti. Like, he has this great reputation for decades, both in talent and in his personality. But Howard sent him that. Jimmy must have sat down, because it's five comic books, so that takes a couple minutes to, to read. Mm -hmm. So he sat down and read it, and then immediately wrote back a page-long, ready-to-go introduction mm -hmm. to the book. And I'm of the age where, I mean, he was an inker doing the Joe Caseta stuff in the kind of uh, the Breaking of the Bat era. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in college, it was kind of the Marvel Knight stuff. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, like his run on Jonah Hex is one of my favorite things of all time. Mm -hmm. And then he and Amanda made Harley Quinn into this strange turn of events where Harley Quinn becomes the fourth tentpole at DC Comics. It's like, and yeah. it's, it's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. And that's all because of Jimmy and Amanda. So, you know, crazy resume. And so, like, one day I'm going to meet Jimmy at a con, and I'm going to get choked up because this, it's it's that that story of like if 12 year old me could say that Jimmy Palmiotti really seemed to love your comic book and call it a quote masterpiece, that's something like that that was just and just so heartfelt that he didn't have to do that. He's 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 got other things to do, and that's the comic book world at its best. So, 
on top of that, on top of the great finds that Howard got a hold of, I asked um, Jim Lawson, who's this king of Ninja Turtle comics with Mirage Comics. He okay. actually has the record for drawing more Ninja Turtles than anybody and knows a little bit of something about black and white comics because he mm -hmm. did all that stuff. So he wrote a really nice blurb for us. And then uh, one of my Comic-Con friends, Troy Little, who's a very talented guy who his last couple things were uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons oh, yeah. and uh, Powerpuff Girls. And he did a really great adaptation of uh, Fear and Loathing. So he wrote a nice little kind of funny blurb for us. So it's, it's really the example of, of uh, don't be afraid to ask because mm -hmm. worst case scenario, if somebody's like, oh, I'm really busy. I'm behind schedule. Sorry. No hard feelings. There yeah. you go. You know, but I have found more and more that when you ask folks for this kind of stuff, and and it's not like you know anything too big. It's not asking them to come over and help you move or anything. They uh, people are happy to help. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's it's very very nice. So so on top of this nice collection we have, we've got a nice a bunch of cool quotes from people. And and uh, um, here in Canada, the 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 national horror magazine is called Rue Morgue, and they gave us a nice little quote. So that's pretty cool. And um, and then a few of the kind of online uh, reviewers and mm -hmm. podcast folks. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all been very positive. And I, and I think, yeah, the, the worst negative criticism we got, I'm pretty sure, genuinely, was somebody wished it was in color. Like, that yeah. was it. Yeah. Like, like yeah. And, and, you know, you can't help but look. You, you hear all those stories of some poor Broadway performer going through the paper and just looking at a bunch of one-star reviews and, mm -hmm. and, and, and knowing better, still reading them. So Howard and I are both online, Howard and I, but they, they, there was no one-star review. So that's very, very nice that, uh, that yeah. it was embraced by our, our nerd community. Now, Josh, you touched up on something because I, because I'm going to jump ahead to one question, you know, um, and like I said, in the, our previous interview, I can't remember if I asked you guys this question the last time. You know, what was the decision to do the series in black and white? Oh, that's hilariously funny, actually, because when I submitted the stuff to Source Print Press, it was only thing we only had it in pencils. We had like, mm -hmm. I think it's definitely the first issue. I'm not sure how many issues we had in, like one and a half, like one and a Something I think, like that. I think, yeah, one and a half issues of 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 very good pencils. Pencils, right? Mm -hmm. And then we sent it over, and then uh, they wanted to see how Robin inked. So he inked a few pages. He inked a bunch of pages before. So I'm like, well, here's the inked ones that he did before, and I'm pretty sure his inking got better after the decade. Um, <laughs> so, so they were like, you want this in color? I'm like, I don't know. Do you want us to do it in color? And then they told it was the funny thing was. As we were discussing it, there were other people at Source Print Press uh, production production team mm -hmm. who were giving input, and a lot of people were like saying, "Why don't you just keep it in black and white? It looks like one of those cool horror stuff that back in the day." And I started talking to Josh about it. I'm like, "What do you think we kept it as a black and white book? Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a, a you know, Robin won't die." Uh, from from <laughs> inking, drawing, and inking, and coloring the rest of the uh, series because he's like a, he was a one man one man phenom. I mean, all the covers were drawn and inked and colored by him too. So it was an idea of how his colors would look like. Um, so we talked about it. Then we started thinking about the past, looking at yes, everything from EC Comics mm -hmm. to the old school, you know, Marvel horror stuff. You know, Werewolf by Night mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. So it was like. 
it, I think it, as I'm talking about, like, I think it could work. I mean, there's a lot of great black and white comics that I've read. I still, because you don't think about it. You don't, when you, I don't know about other people, when you read a comic, regardless of black and white or color or monotones or whatever, I don't really focus on that. I focus on the story and how, how the artwork and the coloring or, or black and whites or monotone becomes part of that narrative. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like what happened with um, Darwin Cook's take on the Parker series. That was yeah. not full color. That was, that's not full color. Yeah. But when you think about it, it's in full color somewhat in your head. But when you look at the physical pages, distancing from the story and that fact that he worked on it, you'll see the artwork completely different. Yes. But as together, it's, it's a whole different thing. Um, so we never had a problem with it. Um, I think one of the things that uh, that did come up was for Bob and he really wanted to color it because he's like, I really want to do a color comic because, you know, because he envisioned it uh, as a full, you know, full on comic with color and stuff. And then he can go to town on it. Yes. But um, the more we thought about it, the more we discussed it with source print press, it made sense that uh, for the look and feel of what we were doing, mm -hmm. it worked really well. Yes. Um, the last comment I would say is that there were some people, I can't remember their names, that's what I was trying to remember, but the names from Source Prime Press thought we intended to do in black and white. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that we were discussing about color at all. It's like, this is great. This mm -hmm. is done, right? I'm like, yeah, sure, it can be. I mean, because that's, that's the thing. When people responded with that comment that they that they didn't even think about having in color, mm -hmm. that they loved what they were seeing yeah. and can't wait to see the rest, that tells you that it's, Technically, it's like any any career. You don't know when you're done until the due date's in your face, right? So, we weren't sure if we were done with the art until mm -hmm. we had a lot of input uh, internally about that. I mean, Josh has a pretty good take on it as well. Uh, you can definitely share your thoughts about the black and white. Yeah, well. I, I was just happy with it's it's a it's one of those happy accidents in creativity mm -hmm. where, on one hand, yeah, it's it's one less thing to do. It's cheaper less things for Robin to do or for mm -hmm. some other colorists to do. But it, I, one of my favorite things in all of comics is those 1970s magazine size uh, horror comics from Marvel. Mm -hmm. And it, Dan Chris Children's looks like one of those. Like it mm -hmm. looks like Robin was trying to do that style. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of fun is, you know, there's the, you know, a, a certain style of TV or, or phone or car in mm -hmm. the comic. But if you don't pay attention to that, you could think it's from 1973. Mm -hmm. it, it could fit into that, that era of, mm -hmm. of kind of horror. And plus all the great black and white horror films. And of course, Night Living Dead. So yeah. I'm very happy for it to be black and white. And I think it, it very much fits into its overall style. Mm -hmm. And it's another great thing about Source Point Press because we had we had no issues with Source Point Press, and, and I can imagine there's there's some world where we were really fighting to keep it black and white, and they were like, nope, kids only like color. But yeah. that they were so on board with it before we were even practically. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it all worked out really, very, really, really well. Mm -hmm. because, um, because I love it. I love it in black and white because, you know, for me, because it add a creepier tone during the daytime. And I, that's one of the things I love about um, Damn Cursed Children, that pretty much everything happens throughout the day. You know, while it's, it, it, there's no, it's not at night. It's not like, you know, ooh, what's behind this dark corner or, and that's, that's what I loved about the black and white. Like I said, it adds the creepier tone during the daytime. Um, I'm going to ask, you know, 
any possibility of you guys going to do it, a colorized version in a collected edition sometime in the future? Well, we honestly haven't discussed it. Mm -hmm. I know Robin asked about it a million years ago when we started out this long mm -hmm. journey. Uh, I'll be frank, if, if there's a lot of demand for it, mm -hmm. um, I can't see why we wouldn't go that route because, you know, for Josh and I, we wouldn't be doing much. So it's really on Robin's shoulders. If, you know, if a lot of demand for it, we'll ask Robin if he's cool with it. I can't see why he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, and, but if anyone's really like, you know, wondering how it would look like in color, just look at the covers. Yeah. I mean, that's literally how it would, how you would color the interiors and, mm -hmm. It would be bunker nuts. I don't sure. I'm not sure of how the details of his his line work would show uh, in color, but you know, I'm pretty sure if we made an absolute edition, supersized it, <laughs> it might it, it might work out with the color. Just mm -hmm. saying that you know a big edition could be possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of of two minds because on one, there's nothing worse than a colorized black and white movie. Like it, it, yes. it never works. It yes. always looks terrible. Yes. But comics is a different medium than the, than the moving image. And there's, there's a number of, at least one that really comes to mind is, is uh, being a good geek Canadian. Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. And that was black and white at first. And then eventually got a very, very nice colored edition. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Smith has done that with bone. So mm -hmm. You know, there's there's examples out there of it being pulled off. Yes. Um, so it's not it's not something I'm I'm dreaming of really. No. But yeah, it's like Howard said. Like, if 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 the powers that be want to do it, and if there's a demand for it, I'm definitely not opposed to it. Mm -hmm. But my brain's kind of concentrated on telling other stories versus kind of doing a colorized version. But uh, no. but like you know. Howard and I wouldn't be doing it, so that's uh, that's fine by us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to I know. Um, I'm going to go back to some of my questions. So, um, we'll talk a little bit more about the artwork in a little bit. So, you know, were there any horror movie comics or even books that influenced the story um, when you guys um, wrote Damn Crush Children? Besides. Uh the black and white um, version, uh, besides the black and white Night of the Living Dead. God, it's it's so funny. I keep going back to it, but but Night of the Living Dead and George Romero is just such an influence for me. Mm -hmm. In any writing, just that he's so good with characters in, yes. in a horrible situation. Mm -hmm. And like, you go back to 1968 and, and it's almost like you know, big, big moments in, 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 you know, pick a superhero comic or die hard for action movies. Like yes. Night Living Dead is just like, that changed everything. And so that's a big influence for me of just concentrating on the characters and mm -hmm. telling their story within this weirdness. So yeah, that, that, that's the first thing that always comes to my mind is, is George Romero of an influence mm -hmm. to my horror writing. Mm -hmm. Well, that weird thing, I think the weirdest thing to say is that I did not think it sounds weird to say it, it sounds like a cop out, but I didn't think about horror films no. or anything when I was really writing it. It was more no. of like obviously why watch stuff and growing up and all that and horror films and even today, but it wasn't like I might it's like who am I gonna like emulate? Am I is this scene like this scene? I took it 
from a point of view of the characters. And so anytime we had a scene with whichever character we were writing at that point, or if I was writing or whatever, mm -hmm. editing or whatever, I took it basically jumping into their shoes and living mm -hmm. the actual world with where kids are trying to eat me yeah. <laughs> and, and busting through windows and stuff. So it's, it was more of that than, you know, because it's not like, as Josh mentioned, it's not a slasher, you know, book slash film, you know, films kind of story where, like, how can we make this more gory? It wasn't even that. It was more like, how would this person react here at this moment? Mm -hmm. Like, even um, some of the roommates of the Millennial, mm -hmm. uh, one of the, not all of them took it very well. Some of them freaked out. And then it makes sense. Some people would freak out. They would freeze mm -hmm. up with, like, a deer in headlights and then, when there you know a bunch of children coming to eat you and you're st standing there, it's it, it's not going to end well. So it's it's one of those things where um, I didn't think about before uh, media uh, that I grew up with mm -hmm. and to influence what I was doing on mm -hmm. this, during the script, just kind of plotting and script stage to be honest. But it was only after I think after we finished each script, I would go back and look at it and then go, did we? You know, it's always that, you know, always that in the back of my mind, did we copy something that we didn't, we weren't aware of? Because it happens. Yeah. It happens all the time because you don't think about it when you're doing it. Yes. Now we're, and I was looking at them like, not to my knowledge. Yeah. We're good. We're good. That's, I mean, that's, that's one of the ways I edit. It's like, did, I, did we copy something? We'd copy a trope, which is fine. Yeah. But then if I, if I notice it, that means we can, we now have time to tweak it. I mean, it happened yeah. a few times where there were some scenes that weren't following a trope. It wasn't anything like that, but it was, it was just a, a scene that, couple scenes that was a little slow, I guess, mm -hmm. and we wanted to speed it up, but it wasn't like, this is following this movie. Should mm -hmm. we keep it? No. Um, at most we did is put nods in, like that old car that Josh mentioned was a, a certain director's car. <laughs> a well, certain even like, model. I, I didn't think about this until doing a few interviews, but again, this was not planned, and it's shocking that this happened, but there is not... There's not one little um, quote or inside joke or 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 kind of like um, action hero line of dialogue. Yes, it's very real. And that and and considering how much I love Army of Darkness, it's mm -hmm. crazy that there's not one moment of of uh, somebody shooting a kid and then saying something humorous afterwards. There's none of that. So that it's so funny. Cause sometimes when you're writing something, you you after the fact, have to just kind of pretend that that was the plan and be like, yeah. yes, yeah. I did that on purpose. Yeah. But so now we have this kind of template for the damn cursed world of mm -hmm. if we are telling more stories, we kind of have these rules now set in place of, yes. of, of like a day in the life story works really well. Mm -hmm. Strangers works really well. Yes. Fast, fast paced works really well. Um, not explaining what's going on. So it, we, now we have our footing in this world. So it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting that that this is our little subgenre of horror now is is this little damn cursed world that we've created. So um, I'm going to circle back around. Actually, you know, what? I'll, I'll make I'll make a comment about this. The horror tropes I, and uh, Howard, thank you. Thank you guys for talking about, you know, like how you guys, you know, avoided doing horror tropes in the story. Be and because um, when I read the story, what I loved about it is, you know, uh, let me just say one briefly. I think one little horror trope I saw was Ted's wife being eaten by 
their daughter Susie. And that was and that was it. Everything else was, you know, because you know, because Ted was this cutthroat businessman. Ted's talking about, you know, I need to get out of here or something like that. And then, you know, and I'm kind of and already in my mind when I'm reading this, I'm going, oh great, Ted's gonna be eaten by his daughter Susie. He's gonna run out, he's gonna see Susie and a bunch of kids. But no, you guys like you guys did something so well. I'll just say this because I'm I'm gonna spoil it is that all of a sudden he gets killed by a Humvee, um Humvee driven by the kids. Or and the kids are like smiling because they're they're just crazy, you know, crazy cannibalistic rabbit kids. And that was so out of left field. And that was like, wow, this is this is I didn't expect to see that, you know. <clears throat> Uh, th that one definitely was Josh because I was like, how are we going to kill Ted? Because <laughs> it was one of those moments where, yes, he should be kicked out because he shot, because I have kids. I'm like, if someone should have been, you mean accidentally shot? Yeah. And you're, and you're my kids? You, you'd be happy to be walking out of my house alive. So, yeah. <laughs> so I would have kicked, I would like, kick him out. But that's how does he die? Because I didn't want like, oh, all of a sudden, a bunch of kids just run up and then chomp on him. Like, that's, that's very tropey. And I didn't want, like, that's like, it's been done to death. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Josh came up like, and he came like, I have an idea. I think you said that, and then you sent it to me, and I'm like, they drive cars now. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, I. It's the it's 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 something almost depressing to think about. So, but it's just like in real life, bad things happen yeah. when you don't expect it. Yes, mm -hmm. whether it be little or big, you know, anytime something bad, every every time you make it through a day and nothing bad happens, that's a miracle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. so. I like those kind of little fun surprises and twists and anytime in a movie or a book or a comic when somebody who you don't think is going to die dies yes. or comes out of left field, mm -hmm. I always think it's the funniest dumb thing, but it's, it's that, it's that deep blue sea moment with Samuel Jackson after he gives the big speech and it's Samuel Jackson, who's the top build guy in the movie. And then he dies. I don't even think halfway through the movie, it's the it's well done filmmakers because every single person watching that back in the day was shocked, was mouth <laughs> agape. And so this isn't quite the same thing, but you think something else is going to happen. You think there's going to be a confrontation with Lawrence. You think something's going to happen. And instead it's just like you're feeling the tiniest bit of empathy for him. He feels yeah. bad. He's losing his mind. Yeah. His family just died. And then our monsters, almost like Jaws, just bam, the monster jumps up and gets him. So I love that kind of stuff. In, and you can get away with that in horror. Like you, that doesn't really work in a drama or a comedy. You, mm -hmm. you, there, there's not those beats. So in horror, you can really get that out of left field punch just to mm -hmm. really shock people. Yeah, I, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we talked about that too. Good Lord, you're making me think about when that moment, it's a scene where they're at Lawrence's home yes. and, and Ted has a, hand, a handgun that he grabbed off a dead cop. And then his Lawrence's daughter walks through the door. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously she's not going to ring the doorbell or anything. <laughs> she just, she just, you know, unlocks the door and walk, walk comes in. So he shot at her mister. Because obviously yeah. he can't miss a number they had to shoot a gun. So at that moment, I talked talk about would Lawrence like go to town and Ted because of that? Like not necessarily shoot him because he doesn't have a gun, but beat the crap out of him. Would that mm -hmm. happen? Or, or would he not? And at the end of the day, I thought that he wouldn't because a his daughter's there, so he didn't want to like do that kind of thing in front of her for one, and at most just literally like I think at one point I thought about 
can we go like Fresh Prince of Bel Air and toss him out the door? Because <laughs> like, he physically, <laughs> yeah. he's physically strong enough to do that. I'm like, it's kind of funny, but is it really needed? Because <laughs> kicking so, him out is still bad yeah, because yeah, there's bad yeah. things out there. Yeah. But it shows Lawrence as a bit more of the yeah. of our hero that yeah. he, he's. Uh, He's like, look, you just almost killed one of us. Uh, you got to go. That yeah. and that kind of feels more of like a, you know, something you might see in a Lord of the Flies kind of story or that kind of thing, like a real heavy moment that uh, the guy who's a jerk but not necessarily a villain just made a mistake yeah. and yeah. but is still getting kicked out of the group because of it. Yeah. So it, it was it was a, re- a realistic reaction for him to kick him out. Yes. Versus like trying to trying to talk it out and work it out after shooting his daughter. So he had to go. And it was great because I think when we were talking about the lines, uh, we made it so that other people in the group realized that it was a mistake and sort of felt bad for Ted, mm-hmm. which is which was which was interesting when we, we worked on it. And then Lawrence was like in that mindset of like F that guy shot mm-hmm. at my kid because it was still not my frame. I would be not mind frame for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we kept that. And then Josh came up with the car that, you know, that with the big, you know, <laughs> the big cars. And I was like, yeah, that, where well, that works completely well, because we're trying, how do you turn this, like this very dramatic, you know, like it was slowing. It was, obviously it was, a, it was a slow period of the story. It had to be yes. uh, dramatic pause. I would get back to, you know, to gear nine. And it's like, <laughs> and then he gave that scene and I was like, Yep, that works. Didn't think they would drive, but okay. (laughs) And with a horror a horror movie or a horror comic, it's is a dominoes of getting rid of your characters. Mm -hmm. And by getting rid of Ted right there, and again, we've said this ten, twenty minutes ago, like this spoiler, 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 but by getting rid of Ted there, it takes him out of the equation. We don't gotta worry about Lawrence or Kendra feeling weird about him. Yeah. You've gotten to see someone die. And then not too far after that the the children invade the house yes and this was a moment i remember because it's it's the uh, the quote-unquote of killing your killing your characters killing your children is that i really like sam i really like all these characters but we just kill her like we just kill her and i think that's the moment where you're like oh everybody could die and i remember that from movies like serenity in serenity when they killed the character wash Mm -hmm. there was this sense and i remember it of like Oh my God! This could be like a uh, like a like a, a western, like a Great Escape or something like that, or the thing where yeah. where they might kill everybody. They might yeah. kill everybody in this movie, and I wanted that feeling of by the time the last page hit, you thought, or as you're approaching it, it'd be fun for the readers to think these crazy guys might just kill everybody, and the last scene would just be the children. You know, like mm-hmm. the children yeah. won, and so you got to do that in horror. You got to kind of get rid of some beloved characters to make it seem really dangerous. Same with war movies, same with mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff of, of you, you have to. So, so it's because, sad, but it works. Because the thing is, yeah, because, um, you know, when they're at, um, Lawrence's home. Yeah. Because, you know, after Ted is killed, because I was kind of surprised and it was kind of a nice, again, left turn. It's like the kids are coming into the house or breaking through the windows and correct me if I'm wrong. I think Sam's trying to like, hold a table or something. I can't remember I'm trying to block the windows but they grab her and I was like they get her yeah oh was yeah. Like, I mean <laughs> yeah. that was good though because it's just like you know because she's the first person we see in issue one that's like hey what's going on then she runs into all the and then the kids and so forth like that and it breaks the rule because she should have been our final girl she yes. should have been our Jamie Lee Curtis 
and that was conscious in my my nerd brain. I'm like, mm-hmm. if we we have other women in the cast, yes. but mm-hmm. if we kill our final girl during the action as it's going up, that's going to confuse the people who know who know the scream rules of horror. So I, th- I thought that'd be fun to get rid of poor Sam at that point. Actually, I was going to say, you know, it's kind of as soon as he said um, Jamie Lee Curtis, I kept thinking Sam is almost like um, Janet Lee in Cycle. Yeah. One yeah, that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God, that's I. I often think about, you know, it's too. There, there's certain movies, certain books that we all know the ending of. Like we're born, and at the age of three, we all know the ending. Yes. But can you imagine being at a movie theater the opening weekend of Psycho? and not knowing mm-hmm. that that was going to happen like halfway through the movie your hero's gone and you're like what is the rest of this movie like it's amazing and i think about that for for psycho and for like planet of the apes and there's certain movies where we all just know the ending now empire strikes back you know but yes. uh, but psycho's a big one where such a great breaking of the rules of mm-hmm. just like that must have melted the brains of movie watchers that that opening weekend back in the 60s Oh, I bet. I, what's, I, 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 I'm, don't quote me on this. I think there were articles where people were so upset that he came out to get to talk to the people running the theaters of like what to, happened. To warn them, yeah. Like... Yeah, to, to like, what, what, like, they were, no, it was just like legitly angry. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they were asking for refunds. I remember reading that somewhere like a million years ago. And I, I can see that happening completely because the media is completely different from where you didn't have obviously social media back then and stuff yeah. like that. So, so this is like their big entertainment. And all of a sudden it's like, imagine like watching an Iron Man film and then you kill off Iron Man like 20 minutes in, <laughs> like literally <laughs> legitimately kill yeah. him. Like, like what the, you know, you'd, be, you'd be totally, because all the marketing, all the posters, yes. all the radio ads would be about, you know, it's Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man and in 20 minutes, <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> yeah. they, they did such a good job with that with Scream because uh, Drew Barrymore was on the poster. Yeah, Drew Barrymore, they sent her out on talk show appearances. They they edited her clip to make it look like she was in more of the movie in the trailer. Yeah. So when she dies in the first 10 minutes, it was amazing because you're like, oh, I thought this was Drew Barrymore's movie. I thought she was our hero. Mm-hmm. So th- that broke all the rules too. So yeah, that, that's the fun thing about horror is there, there are rules, but but you can you can skirt around them and still have lots of fun. Mm-hmm. So um, I know we touched a little bit about you know about Sam, about Ted and Lawrence. Um, now, how did you guys decide um, the different aspects of society to be represented? Like for example, Sam, the kindergarten teacher; Ted, the cutthroat businessman; Lawrence, um, the military um, veteran. Um, Kendra, his um, teenage daughter, and Daisy, the millennial. How, how did you guys come up with those characters, or, you know, or you know, did you guys want someone to represent certain parts of, you know, society? Well, for, for Sam, I think that came about because of how Dankers Children came about. Because I was getting sick from my kids going to daycare, so that became somewhat the opening scene of issue one. Was That's a daycare. the true story part of the the book. Yeah, it's it's really I was dead sick, man. So my wife as well. It was it was like, you know, the plague that's what was revolving in our home. It was gross. And for some reason our kids got immune to it. So my wife and I were like 
dying. We're like, you have to feed the kids, like you feed the kids. That's like, you to that point, right? They're toddlers, right? Like, I can't get out of bed. But that's where Sam came about for sure. Okay. Um, I wanted a, uh, a, fa- a parents of a child to be involved because I wanted that point of view for sure. Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we didn't create Ted like, immediately at that point to be like, he's going to be an asshole dad. Um, but we evolved, he evolved to be that. First, I thought he's going to be like the average, you know, mom and dad kind of thing. Yeah. But as we looked into it, I was like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> it felt so bad to say, like, yeah. it kind of bores me. We need something. I don't want him to be like some kind of Dr. Milter guy. That doesn't make sense. That's too, that's too easy. And then I think Josh, like, we're making my, you know, like, business guy. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, okay, okay, we can remember that. Which could then you have the mom who's like the real, you know, the one who did care, cares, you know, the kid and everything. And he's, the, he's, he's there, but physically at the events and stuff supporting his kid, but not mm-hmm. really in heart, really, really there. Yes. Completely. So that was really, that was, that was what I came about. As for the other characters, well, I can't remember. I mean, I think you just kind of balance everybody out. Like when you're doing yeah. the really rough work, um, like Howard and I might be working on something else right now that has a very rough 20 page outline. And then I'm kind of, I'm about, I'm about one issue into making it all pretty in script format. And then I'll share that with Howard and he'll make a bunch of notes and I'll have to do some more. And that's uh-huh. how it works. But the, um, you balance it, right? So you have yes. Sam works with kids. Yes. Daisy is a younger woman who doesn't have kids or doesn't work yes. with kids. You have Lawrence, who's kind of our handyman hero. Mm-hmm. And then you have, uh, who's like blue collar. And then you have Ted, who's, we don't really specify, but he's some kind of rich businessman yes. jerk guy. Yeah. They're both parents, but they both have very different situation mm-hmm. during this, this, this time. Yes. And then Kendra, who I think is really important, is she's, she's how we figure out that, oh, 13 year olds aren't infected so that that she's an important part where she gets to be right on the front lines and be Mm -hmm. at school and witness half of her school go crazy and the other half get killed so Mm -hmm. so it's the exact same thing if we had been writing like a like a world war ii story or a star wars science fiction story you just you just kind of you say uh we want about half a dozen characters we want about five characters whatever and you kind of balance them out to see who would work best in mm-hmm. this situation and, and so i think that's you can draw like a venn diagram between like good dad bad dad yeah uh, person yeah. who works with kids person who doesn't work yeah. with kids yeah. uh someone who's a bit more brave someone's a bit more cowardly and then they mm-hmm. all work well because you you need conflict like you i always think it's funny when when readers or viewers get mad at a sequel because something happens or and i'm like well you need conflict like you need like in in um in Star Wars: The Force Awakens, like not to get off on a on a Star Wars <laughs> tangent, but like people were mad that Luke was off as a hermit on an island. People were yeah. mad that Luke and Leia split up, and I'm like, well, what did you want? Like a two-hour movie that was like a Thanksgiving dinner where everybody was fine, and like like you 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 need bad stuff to happen, or yeah. there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So you know, if if Damkers Children would have been a bunch of people who got along and were all on the same page and didn't argue, it's it's mm-hmm. not as not as interesting to read. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as the saying goes, if there's if there's no conflict, there is no story. Yes. And conflict can be any conflict. So so many different levels of conflict, and from physicality to you know, personalities clashing, you know, mm-hmm. so forth. So that's important for those who try to make a story. Characters definitely look at conflict as your key thing when he mixes. Mm-hmm. But um, for character wise, uh, 
besides doing what we did with what the cash that we have, mm-hmm. we, per- we did go out of our way for sure not to have any super genius medical expert or scientist mm-hmm. yes. or an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't want like, you know, Captain America to be part of the team. We <laughs> were saying like, yeah. I'm going to lead this team to, you know, to safety by doing X, Y, and Z and follow, mm-hmm. follow the plan and go. Yes. We want, we wanted the average person in quotation so that there was no, like, I haven't a good idea what to do in this crazy ass situation because no one should have a clear idea of what to do yeah. when the world goes to crap like that. So, yeah, like Lawrence is an ex-soldier, which gets revealed later when we meet him. He's a, he's a handyman and he has a gun in the house, Yes, but he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have like 30 guns in the house and yeah. he's not like a, a, a Ash or Deadpool catchphrase spewing kind of hero. Yeah. And so, like, you know, in real life, there's probably an ex-soldier who has a different job and is a dad and mm-hmm. hidden in a locker in the house is a gun. And that's, yeah. and if something horrible like monsters invading happened, he'd make use of that gun. So it's, it's, but, but we tried to, yeah, try to stay real because there's other really fun stories out there that are, are bigger and splashier and more campy or like, like Army of Darkness. I love Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. but Army of Darkness is, is 90 minutes of, yeah. catchphrases and waking at the camera and a shotgun yeah. that shoots 30 shells and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's a masterpiece. I love it. Yes. But th- mm-hmm. this was something different. This was a, trying to be, it's so funny to say real world, but as real world as you can be in a story yeah. with thousands of children gone crazy and trying to kill you. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to have that. I want, we never thought about the balance, but we try to ground it as much as we could yet still have a lot of fun. Yeah. So you'll you'll see, you know, those who haven't read or looked at uh, the preview pages out there, it's a balance of between very realistic uh, relationships, development, yes. conflicts, and people, and mm-hmm. reactions to the situation, to, you know, honestly, stupid, weird scenes that what we when we wrote them, we thought they were pretty crazy, and then Robin, uh, Robin Semiding, who's the artist uh, on all the entire series just you know went to town with this yeah. art uh it's like we had ted running from uh this kid's school and running over kids with his car as he was trying to get away we had him run over like i think a few like two three kids and that was like that was like pretty bad and he's like i could do i could say and then he gave us his pages and it was like that is more than two to three kids there and <laughs> a lot of kids i'm like there's some kids popping off the car I'm like my god this is nuts mm-hmm. this is good and, you know it, it became that balance of like you feel like, oh, this is horrible, terrible. But then you sort of like laugh at it, which is also in a way horrible and sad too, if you think if you think about it in a different light. But it had that, you know, that balance of being it funny and not funny at the same time. And I had a lot of people come up on social media to ask, you know, talking to you know, asking me questions privately. It's like, did you intend for me to laugh at the dark, scary shit? This is really <laughs> weird and bizarre. I'm like, not really. I mean, Josh and I wrote it and created this with Robin, honestly, mm-hmm. for fun. Yeah, we didn't go. We didn't go. We're going to get this published by X publisher. We're going to do this, and then mm-hmm. it'll become X, you know, whatever media afterwards. Mm-hmm. We didn't. None of that was intended. It was more. It was really like we enjoyed the process of making something that came out from an idea when I was like half dead in bed <laughs> and stuff, and it came. It became what it was, but. We really, the whole, the, our intentions of the scenes with the characters and the conflict between them was to have fun and but mm-hmm. to ground it so that 
we didn't go to we because we didn't want to, we didn't want to make a horror comedy. I know what we did. We, we literally gently said we didn't want to do a horror comedy because it's been no offense, but it's been done to death, and that's something that I didn't I didn't want to do. Um, and we wanted to have something that was more grounded because it helps make every scene stronger the mm -hmm. way we saw it. So, so Howard. So you mentioned about um, your artist, Robin Simon Ng. Um, can you just, um, may I ask, can you briefly mention how you guys picked Robin for this project? Well, um, many, many years ago, mm -hmm. um, I, I wrote a comic book series called After the Cape with, at Image Comics. And then when I was looking, when, when I was doing After the Cape 2, the second volume of the series, um, at that time, uh, artist Marco Rudy was he jumped off to work with uh, Mark Wade at Boom uh, for an, I think it was an anthology at, at the time and then he went off and signed a contract with DC and you know and Marvel and so forth so his career you know shut off uh, before we finished this series which is fine we had a talk and people say he left you I'm like well, yeah, but is it, but he asked first. Mm -hmm. We had a talk and stuff like we're friends. We're still talking now, you know, and stuff. So it wasn't like bad blood stuff. It was sort of like he's asked me, should I do this? Should I take this opportunity? I was like, damn, yeah, go for mm -hmm. it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out what to do with this. I know, uh, I know. After you leave, so Robin was one of the people that uh, that approached me because I had an ad online, uh, and Deviant Art and. Mm -hmm. Pencil Jack and digital webbing, if I remember correct, and then image and image boards when they were still around. So he he answered one of the ads and he showed me some of his samples and I was like, dude, this is crazy good. Mm -hmm. um, and there were like a few other artists that were you know that that were in the mix as well to see who would be the one. And Robin was the one uh, for the publisher and myself. But Robin started uh, had his first kid during that time and yes. had a day job and stuff and he couldn't commit so. He bowed out, but I loved his art, so I kept in contact with him over the years. Like that was a lot of years, by the way. Um, and when he asked me one day by email, like, you know, is, is there anything you're you're working on that you would like, you know, that we can work on together? I'm like, yep. Mm -hmm. And I sent, I think I sent the first issue script <laughs> that Josh yeah. and I finished. And then the first response on email was, "This is not a superhero book." I'm like, nope, it is not a superhero <laughs> book. Um, this is pretty dark. I'm like, because mm -hmm. I was waiting for him to say no. I honestly thought he was going to say, "This is this is crazy, stupid shit. I'm not going to huh? do it." I literally was waiting for him to say that because of all the things I was doing, it was a very you know very mainstream, very whatever you want to call it. But he's like, "I want to do this." I'm like, "Are you sure?" Because you know that when we say kids, they're like little legit toddler kids that they're going to be you know drawing things that <laughs> happen to them a lot. Um, if you're okay with that, that's cool. Because uh, I don't know, like honestly, I don't know how it how how people roll in Singapore. He's from Singapore, by the way. He's a local native Singaporean living mm -hmm. in Singapore. So I'm not sure how they roll in that part of the world. I've been there a few times. Our friends there. I, I love their food, but I don't know how they would look at that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea. But he's like he said, I'm all in. It's all good. I'm like, okay, well, we'll sign you. We'll we'll, we'll do this and we'll do we'll do it together. And I showed the art, Robin's art, to uh, Josh to ask him. Uh, after I got, you know, Robin's for sure okay. Mm -hmm. And then Josh can talk about how he reacted to his art. Because I, I mean, I loved it since 2008, seven mm -hmm. or something like that. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so lucky to have Robin. And I remember 
we sent some some pretty detailed character descriptions. Uh, what I like doing is saying, like, not even necessarily to use this as like a you know don't trace this, not like Alex Ross style. But I was like, you know, Lawrence is kind of a Sam Jackson kind of guy, or yeah. or Ted is kind of a uh, Ted Raimi, this character actor Ted Raimi. And, yeah. Um, but with 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 all of our notes, he sent back the character designs, and then we had no notes. Like it was just mm-hmm. like, oh my god, he just got these all right away. Mm-hmm. And then I forget what was first. Might have been he did like a a cover, like just a a mock cover for the series that is in the trade that it wasn't mm-hmm. used in the regular series. Um, but he's just it was just so good, and and just like one of those artists who every artist is different. Some of them like pencils are really really rough, and then it gets all tightened up afterwards. But mm-hmm. I remember when when uh, Howard was talking about oh he wants to ink it and I was just like I don't think he has to ink it it looks fine like like it was so nice just as is but yeah I, I was so I was so impressed with it right away and and when especially when you're in the the indie trenches and you're just kind of doing what you can to get by and not making mm-hmm. any money and you got no budget to get someone like Robin involved even though you know it took a while because he had other things to do and mm-hmm. but as soon as we got source point involved and howard laid out uh you know a schedule with him mm-hmm. and and it you know he did it and it, mm-hmm. it's a big accomplishment like he did five issues of a comic book so that's that's something yeah that that, that that's four and a half more issues than a lot of artists ever do so <laughs> exactly i mean kudos to like definitely uh to robin and his his lovely supportive wife probably him to do that who no i'm I, it's funny enough that i met both robin and his wife in the real a million years ago and when i was uh, on a trip in hong, to hong kong because mm-hmm. it's like i'm going to be i'm in hong kong too i'm like let's meet up mm-hmm. this is like this is be like legitly almost like a couple of months before um we start talking about damn Chris children with them like legitly we just just there to hang out and we're mm-hmm. talking and his, he's very low-key very soft-spoken mm-hmm. his wife is the complete opposite <laughs> <laughs> she's like very like very uh active she's very you know she's she's the person i think she's the person who takes him onto the adventures to be honest yeah. like mm-hmm. she's the one let's go there and he'd be like okay and then they'll go <laughs> and he'll have fun but she's the one who's like that. So it was it was very interesting to meet them and like so you draw these amazing things. Yes. Because it's all bottled up inside in this yeah. <laughs> somewhere in you. That's great. Because it gives you an idea of what kind of person he is and then hearing his voice and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but it's it's legitly insane that he did like I'll be frank when when I said this is the schedule that Source Point would like us to hit mm-hmm. uh, before we commit. Uh, can you do it? Because I, in between uh, us, before Source Point Press's uh, approach uh, approaching uh, uh, approaching us with for for a deal, uh, Robin had a second kid, so he has like two toddlers at home, <laughs> um, uh, or taller and. Yeah, it's something. I'm taller and a tweeny, I guess. I have to ask him. I can't remember now. Like years are a little fuzzy. So I was legitimately asking, "Are you sure you have time for this?" You know, he would say, "Yeah, I do." I'm like, does your wife think you have time for this? <laughs> <laughs> because I want you to like not be murdered in your sleep, and it's my you know our fault. Um, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, we didn't put him on like a like a Mark Bagley schedule. Like he wasn't doing two books a month or anything, but it was still like a 
you know, because he had other things to do. He had other work to do. He had to be a parent and whatever. But mm -hmm. so when you're doing it, you kind of, it's a little bit of a more long con, but, but still that, that, that we did it. it it's just, yes. uh, it's, it's so great. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it, it's, if anything else, I hope it's a really great calling card for him that yes. mm -hmm. people can look at this and be like, oh my God, you can draw a comic and, yes. and he'll get some more work out of it. So that's, Absolutely. that's the hope when you do this kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's such a, a vast pool of talent in Asia that I have come across in my travels and stuff mm -hmm. that trying to explain that to people here, like, or, or, or in any Western market for comics, they sort of scratch their heads like Singapore. Where's mm -hmm. that? Is that part of China? I'm like, no. And then you're like now taking a, a you know, armchair history <laughs> to what Singapore is and then telling them like, yeah, they speak English. They're actually trilingual. So you don't have a problem with the scripts. I send him English scripts. I don't speak Malaysian or mm -hmm. any other languages that he that can speak. So yeah. yeah, they can do it. And, you know, um, it's, it's such a weird phenomenon when people, when people find out where he's from. And, mm -hmm. and I keep saying to them, you know, it's the people and, and it's, it's to the general public. If you think of Singapore and kind books, there is one artist writer that pops up. For sure, it was Sunny Sunny Liao who you know who did that. Who, who won like three Eisner's in one year at the same time for his <laughs> one book. You know, he's a great guy too. I met him. He's a wonderful gent of a man. Um, so the thing is, there's such such so much talent in, mm -hmm. in Asia that is undiscovered right now. Yes. That if anyone plugged in, my God, the stuff that we would be seeing visually would be crazy, mm -hmm. like absolute madness. So. Hopefully he'll help, you know, bring light to that as well. Not just to himself, but to, you know, the, the general the pool of talent that's there that honestly really should be, you know, in, you know, on the stands over here, uh, you know, legitly not jokingly saying that. Like, I really believe that's a lot that we have not seen yet that would be, um, we'd be amazed by if, if we plug into that. And it gives us an excuse to get invited to a Comic-Con in Singapore. Oh yes! <laughs> Ride Robin's um, coattails some more. Absolutely. Um, actually, I wonder if it's still it. Uh, Reed used. To, I don't. Know, I don't know if Reed still runs it, but uh, it used to be called STGCC Singapore Toys Games Comics Convention, but they changed their name, so I don't know what it's called now. But I've never been. Um, my friends who work in the entertainment as well as Toy Industries in Singapore. So they go to that show, they love that show. Mm -hmm. um, you know what, it's like, it sounds weird to say it, but it's like any other convention around the planet, but mm -hmm. you're in Singapore and you have like, as they call it themselves, the perpetual sun. So 24 seven, uh, they are, they're, they're summertime, the weather is summertime. Sun, it's sun or rain. Mm -hmm. And when I say rain, it rains when it's sunny. So it's, <laughs> so it's, it's odd. But the food, the people, the mm -hmm. city, like it, it's one big area. I call it the city, it's just terrible as a country, but the urban area is like so easy to navigate. It's like insane. So, mm -hmm. you know, like you feel safer navigating in that area, in that part of the world than say New York City. If you've never been to New York, like if you've never been to New York City, legitly yeah. never been there, no, I've, you, yeah. I pop you, I pop you down, you're probably freaking out a bit. Mm -hmm. in Singapore, you'd be like, you ask the first Singaporean how to get somewhere. And they'll totally be super nice to you and tell you how to get there, all the different options, <laughs> you know, 
and then you know probably end up telling you a couple of free places nearby too for you to try mm-hmm. out so it's it's a whole different world there and you know i i really miss it i mean i traveled there a few times love it you know mm-hmm. hopefully we'll you know i can bring we can bring ourselves there for a combo convention meet up with robin and uh you know hang out with people there and check out singapore mm-hmm. you know geek wise and non-geek wise <laughs> one thing the thing I love about Robin's artwork, and I remember in the previous um, interviews that, now correct me if I'm wrong, Howard, Robin's artwork, he's not too, he's not too familiar with too much pop culture references. And I think that's really good because reading Damn Cursed Children, I'm going to say, I don't see any artwork, any of his artwork, um, it's all original stuff. I, I, I don't see where it's like, oh, I, I remember seeing that in a Deadpool comic, or I remember seeing that in, you know, some other horror comic book. Because he came up with his own scenes. And the, the key scene that I still love is when um, Ted, the businessman, you know, he's at this, you know, Suvi's play, they're doing the Seven Dwarfs, if I remember correctly. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait, did the kids forget their lines? And all of a sudden you see all these kids are like, Running off the stage, you see one of them, two of them jumping high up, and that is like, that is so cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that kid yeah. jumping 15 feet in the air into the crowd is one of my favorite, like, that's what, if, if I wasn't sold before, I was like, oh my god, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> because, like Howard's mentioned before, that, that, you know, without being a poor artist, he could have skirted around that a bit and drawn a bunch of... Um, you know, kind of more stick figure people in the background and yeah. focused on two or three in the foreground, had yeah. less kids on stage. But just the detail in yes. everything that Robin does, whether it's in like the daycare class, you see little toys on the shelf or in yes. Lawrence's house, you see knickknacks around and just all this stuff that he didn't have to do. So yeah, just the attention to detail on scenes like that and just the simple terror of that, of of your... Whether, you know, if it was a real world story, it would be like, oh, we're at a play and an earthquake happened or we're at a play and a fire started. Mm-hmm. But we're at a play and all the kids go crazy. And you can, what I really compliment him on, you can see the confusion on some of our, of our, not even our, our extras, I guess you would call them, just like the people in the background. You can see them panicking. Mm-hmm. And so instead of doing a, a little like close up shot of Ted and his wife, he just gave us all this other action and drama by mm-hmm. getting to see all these people who we don't know who we'll never see again yeah. dealing with this this chain of events mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's sounds weird but hopefully we'll have a chance to talk to him one day <laughs> because <laughs> i never it sounds weird to say it i just realized that i never geeked out with them like where i like exchange you know war stories of you know, getting and reading whatever series or missing mm-hmm. an issue of this or that, you know, that those, you know, the common stories you do with the convention. So I've never been to a convention with them or even talked to them like that. It's always about you very straight up, you know, this is what we're doing. This is the script. This is, you know, the breakdown. It's, like, it's always very, very business-like uh-huh. in a bizarre way possible. But um, I know he's not a super horror fan. I'm, I'm not, like, you know, like, I'm not a huge horror fan. I don't have, like, mm-hmm. horror, if you're in, like, everywhere. 
Uh, I love the genre for what it is. I enjoy watching it, um, you know, so, but, you know, I'm not, deep, you know, neck deep in stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he's definitely not. To the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of films and films and TV series and books that everybody knows, mm-hmm. you know, like The Shining, like our issue one yes. was The Shining. I was like, we're going to do, yeah. can we do a, you know, Shining homage. She's like, what? I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then we, we sent him visuals. I'm like, you see, like, I, I, I honestly remember talking to John. I, I don't know if he's joking with me or he really legitimately doesn't know it or remember it, which is mm-hmm. kind of shocking because that's like the one scene that, of all the scenes, people remember that scene of, uh, you know, Nicholson, you know, acting through the, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, for those who haven't watched the <laughs> film, you know, opening up his way through the door with an axe, um, and, you know, and, you know, popping that line here with Johnny, but which I think most people now would probably not understand that line, um, to the, you know, the tricycle scene. Like, everybody knows those two, at least, at least those two scenes with the twins yes. and everything, right? And that's it. You ask anybody, most of, well, most of the other scenes are like, of the average person, they don't remember it because those yeah. two things are very iconic. But he didn't, he didn't, he didn't gravitate to that, to that scene. Yeah. You know, it, 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 was, it was almost kind of like, really? So we sent him visuals for that, mm-hmm. which is really weird. Um, so it was things like that where in our script, we would have uh, saying like, if you watched, you know, it's, it, this mood should be like this, this film or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you, so you instantly understand the mood of something or yeah. a certain scene, but it just it would fly over his head, uh, and then and we would have to go and explain the whole thing because you can't make somebody watch like well it's only like five hundred hours for you know for you to catch up to up to this scene to understand the pivotal moment of why we have this you know blurb of saying it reflects to the scene to this to this other series or something. Um, so it was really bizarre and weird uh, for us to find that out um, mm-hmm. as to. Has he read comics? I believe definitely believe so because oh, yeah. most people who want to draw, write, or do anything in comic books uh, have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As to how far, you know, how far is his kind of knowledge is, I really don't know. I, I mean, personally, I started with Image when he came out, and then went forward with them, and then backwards as well, going back into you know. Thank God for it. Sounds so bad. The dollar bins and 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 the yeah. the quarter the quarter bins to catch up on some stuff that you know people will tell you about. Like you should follow this. You know, read this. You know, this set from so and so of this. You know, of this title because it's so cool. And and you and I did that. So I mean, I didn't start really early in comic books, but I you know you sort of some purpose to catch up. I just because I was just interested in finding out what these people were talking about. Yeah, you know, amongst my yeah. friends and stuff. So I don't know what kind of books he's read or not mm-hmm. read, but we'll definitely want to, I definitely want to find out. Um, yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. If it was legit a, a podcast like this, I think Josh and I would be asking him all the questions <laughs> <laughs> legitimately about, so what moods have you seen? What mm-hmm. kind of books have you read? And then I think it would be interesting and surprising some of the answers that he'll he'll give. I mean, I'm I I really want to. Know, I mean, right down to music taste. Like, you know, what is your favorite band if you have yeah. one? Because I really want to know because his artwork is phenomenal. Like, it's it's not just the inking and and the details of uh, that he puts into each and every panel. His inking, um, the rendering he does with the inking, is very noirish. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it sets the mood. Like you mentioned during the daytime, it's creepy as shit because, um, I mean, I did mention like you know if you can do like a noir, kind of you know lighting uh, to the scenes, it would help. And then it, it you know, I I won't eat you know uh, put a kind of candy, kind of sugar coat to this. Mm-hmm. I said that you, you definitely because of that you can silhouette a lot of the stuff so you don't have to go nuts and draw everything and it'll still be totally fine because it's gonna set the mood you know and I thought that would help him get through the five issues real quickly yeah. because of that right and yeah. still work and everything um, but he just I don't know if you look at his art if you look at those pages yes he is the noir uh, rendering but he kept all the details Yes, which is bonker nuts to me because every time I look at it, every time I go back and look at it in the pages, I'm like, yeah, I see that I see the sh- like heavy shadows here and there, but he doesn't use it to cover up things that would help him draw faster, <laughs> which is like the most bizarre. It's like usually artists would use that to help themselves, not just use it to set the mood, which you should do, mm-hmm. but you can also use it to help yourself. But he didn't. He just legitimately is like, I'm going to use it to set the mood and then draw everything still. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> So, and that's what he did. So uh, one day, one day before we die, I think Josh and I will find out, you know, what kind of geek he is. I'm pretty sure he is, <laughs> you know, to be able to do the way he does. Uh, but as to what kind he is and what level he is, I definitely am super intrigued to find out, to be honest. So one day it will happen. And then we will, we will have a newfound appreciation of his art and maybe write the script even better for him because then we know, you know, which way to lean Mm-hmm. Uh, towards for him to do versus going, we'll just write it because the way we like it and not know what you can cannot draw because mm-hmm. apparently he can draw everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we haven't had a restriction where he doesn't like drawing. Some some artists like I don't like drawing cars. Yeah, right. There's some car some artists who hate it because the anatomy is very really difficult and perspective is tough. Uh, but he never said no. And he drew these cars. I'm like, wow, he drew them like like perfectly. Mm-hmm. Wow, he can draw cars. Okay, can he draw little kids? Yep. Can he draw people? Yep. Can he draw emotions? Yep. Okay, what can he not draw? No. <laughs> so it it it, it it was insane. Like it, down to technicality stuff. Like you know when we get to seeing guns and stuff and, mm-hmm. and yeah. things like that and radios. Like he legitly draw the like the little buttons and dials and shit. I was like, you know, you didn't have to draw. Like it's done. Mm-hmm. Technically, didn't have to draw all of that. Yeah, but I'm so happy that you did. I don't know when you sleep, but this is some crazy stuff that he draws everything like so well. I I don't know what he doesn't draw well yet. I mean, I haven't we haven't pushed him to that point, and you know, I kind of have jokingly. I think it's not the judge. Like one day we're gonna we can ask him to draw something in the script that he can't draw. Mm-hmm. We'll be in shock. We'll be in shock because it's gonna be something so simple and easy that anyone should be able to draw it but he can't and we're gonna like like that's gonna be the thing <laughs> that's gonna be the moment where we where we break him <laughs> um i'm gonna continue on so but i'm gonna touch going back i'm gonna probably um circle around to ask one more question about robin so the trade is coming out next month so when did source point press talk to you guys about doing a collection wow that huh Hey, Josh, do you remember? I actually don't remember that. It one. wasn't. Uh, it wasn't for sure right away. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. when when uh, when we got signed up for the mini series, I don't think the trade was a for sure um, mm-hmm. venture. But uh, I think by the time the first couple issues came out, then 
we knew a trade was coming. Okay. And, it should, and it came faster than I thought because I thought they might, you know, wait for Halloween or something. But yeah, I think I think maybe just to kind of keep keep the ball rolling. I think because the miniseries was going well and publicity was going well, you know, the trade was solicited as issue five hit stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure if that's the norm now. I think it kind of is. I think I think so many people. That, that's the problem, right? Where it's like. Mm-hmm it's good to support a comic store by buying the monthly comics. But then so many people know that, especially for the big stuff, if you're a star Wars or Batman reader, you know, that is all 100% going to be made available in a trade. And then you can buy it then, but I'm glad we got to do the, the monthly book. Cause I think it, I'm a traditionalist. I like reading the monthly books. I like having the cliffhanger, the little space Mm -hmm. in between, but, but um, yeah, it's a nice thing to have. And it's just, like I said, it just, it's, it's, it means we're not done with this yet. It means that we still got to keep the publicity going for it and, and uh, get it out there. Now, hopefully, theoretically, a bunch of people who aren't comic book store people are going to discover it out in the world still. So yes. it's, it's exciting that it keeps keeps rolling along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I think you're right. I think it was around issue three or something like that, or issue three, between issue three and four when it came out uh, into comic book shops where they said, yeah, I think they. I think what the email was. So, what's going to be in the trade? It wasn't like if, if you know, do you guys want to do a trade? Like, yeah. What's going to be in the trade? Uh-huh. I, like, and I, remember, I remember. I think I. Remember, I don't know if I emailed Josh first or Robin. Like, so apparently we have a trade coming. <laughs> that was like because I was sort of confused as to we don't have our numbers yet from you guys, but we have a trade, so our numbers must be good. <laughs> I guess. And then it's just uh, figuring out like then it's just math, and it's just like boring math of trying to figure out like. Robin did a good job again of spacing out like here's the cover on the other side is a chapter one or issue one and then the pages and how they lay out and then all the Mm -hmm. bonus stuff at the back because that's what's fun about comics and you don't want it to be like oops we did it wrong so it means now the cover is on the left side and chapter four is on the right side all those little things right so you get that out of the way and then you figure out how many bonus pages you have and Mm -hmm. Robin had a bunch of character design work and some rough pages and covers mm-hmm. and put all that in there. And, and I think for two seconds, we thought maybe put in a new two page story or something. But then I was like, I think we were all like, that's, that's a lot more work. We have enough rough material to, <laughs> yeah. to fill, fill a dozen pages with, with all this cool behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it looks very nice. Not, not having seen it in real life, but seen it digitally. It, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's the funniest thing to say. And, and I've heard people way more with a deeper resume than ours that say like oh wow it's a real book like your your work looks like a real book and Mm -hmm. and and people with dozens of more credits than we have saying that yep that that never gets old when you're like oh cool we have the monthly comics and now this nice collected edition that can be in a library is is kind of neat (laughs) (laughs) if if any librarians are interested do contact oh, Sports Press or us because I would love to see which library. That that <laughs> in. I'm going to order it through the uh, Ottawa Library for sure. Like, so that, that's the thing to say. So many libraries now in the in the modern technology, and I'm sure many many cities have this same thing where you can go onto their website and suggest a purchase, oh. and you just have to make sure. I, I'm speaking for the Ottawa Public Library, but they're great, and I have ordered a number of comics over the years where you basically go on. You uh, you put in the, the the name and the date. It has to be a new book that you can't order something from 1983. Mm-hmm. 
and you put in uh, it's from SourcePoint Press. Here's the the writers. Uh, here's the date. It meet and then you put in the um, what is the I I the uh, ISBN. ISBN ISBN number, and there you go. And it doesn't work all the time, but it has worked a number of times for me ordering mm -hmm. stuff through the library. So if you're in a town and you want to you want to help us out, and you're a library patron. Uh, check out your library and you might be able to get them to order a source point press book, uh, a damn cursed children book mm -hmm. uh, to get on their shelves. So I'm, I'm, I'm 100% going to try that for Ottawa. And then, and then it just, you know, it, it domino effects from there. If it, it gets yeah. in there, it could get into other libraries. And if Ottawa buys five copies, then maybe they'll tell Toronto library and they'll tell Montreal library. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's exactly. great. I, the Ottawa Library is so amazingly comic book supportive, and it's it's great. Yeah. Like all the mainstream stuff, but they have indie stuff and weird stuff, and mm -hmm. so yeah. So that's that's a good venture too. If you can't afford buying it, try getting it from your library. Yeah, yeah that I mean, still supports us. Exactly. I mean, I already did that at my life local library. <laughs> it's <laughs> called if you, some libraries call it, uh, uh, you know, recommendations mm -hmm. or you know what you know things that you would like to read as a library patron, you pop it in there. It can be any, this is just comic books. It can be any book, right? Yeah. But you pop it in there and then their buyer will look over it and see, you know, if it's something that they don't have to mm -hmm. offer. And then they, you know, I don't think anyone would have anything like we have, but, um, <laughs> um, and then they might st stock on their shelves, which is really cool. I mean, for me, I'm lucky that the, the local library here where I am, um, mm -hmm. which, which we mean li public library, thumbs up for them. Um, they're attached to a high school. Yeah. So their comic book collection is insane. It's like mainstream stuff. They have some, a lot of absolute editions of stuff, which is wow. insane. I don't know where they get the money for that. Yeah. They have all these crazy manga and indie title stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, people, some people hate me, but I literally read almost all of Black Science through trade paperbacks from there because yeah. they ordered them so quickly. And I was like, what's the chance of you guys having this? Like it just came out last month and I would look it up. I'm like, Oh my God, they have copies in, in the library it came mm. up, like last month. I mean, that's not a, like, that's, that's a very short period of time for a library to, to go, we're going to buy this. We're going to put it on the shelves done. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was like one of the, like, I think one of the first three people to read that, you know, certain copies of certain things because of that. So, you know, libraries are awesome for that kind of thing. And yeah, you know what? Support them. Actually, it helps support the library. If you do that and yes. take the book out, it does support the library. It sounds legitly weird because it's all free yeah. quotations. But the thing is, you know, it tells the government who, who, who gives them grants and funding mm -hmm. that they need more grants and funding to continue this amazing service to yeah. the public, right? So definitely do that. Um, yeah, about to about about uh, going back to the trade paperback. For those who who may not know, we told Robin about the trade. We mm -hmm. told him what we wanted in the trade, mm -hmm. and then he legitly did the layout for the entire trade on his own, <laughs> which was insane because uh, SourcePoint Press obviously have their own te design team and stuff to do that. Yeah. So when I was like, so. Uh, Josh, is a, is, there's just like two Joshes, there's three Joshes at SourceWorks Press, including ours here. Um, I'm like, exactly. So I'm like, Josh, I, saw, I was talking to Josh Warner. I'm like, so if we designed our own trade, would that be okay? It's like, I guess. Why? I'm like, well, here it is. Robin is crazy and it looks so good. Like it looks oh so professional. Okay. Yeah. 
and it, it was it was funny because I just we did the page count uh, the page count stuff. I, I we broke it down to how many how many things would be how many pages, and I mean the next stage was to do you know to legitly look at you know physicality of the book. You know, page yeah. one is on this side, whatever, and, mm-hmm. and, and you turn the page over and so forth and kind of thing. But Robin just took that and went to town. I was like, well, I guess you skipped, you know, a bunch of steps we were <laughs> I was prepared to do because I've done this, I've done this, I've done this pony show before, but I guess I, I guess that saves me, uh, you know, a week worth of uh, emails. That's great. <laughs> so when you buy, if you, if you do decide to pick up a trade via the store or for your own collection or a librarian, uh, it is literally the creative team uh, doing their thing. Um, it's source print presses doing pretty much doing their thing and hitting print, which is amazing. So it's really crazy that we were able to do that, and they were okay with it because we shoved a lot in that trade. Mm-hmm. To be honest, like like it was it was to the point where I was sort of like, do we still have space for more? Um, because we have unused covers, we have uh, character designs. Uh huh. Roughed out pages. Um, what else do we have in there, man? Uh, quotations, kind of. And... I really like all the covers because, by wild happenstance, the covers spaced over two pages in like like mini covers. Yeah. And so it's this perfect two-page spread of of all these really cool rough covers that were slightly tweaked or rough mm-hmm. covers that weren't used at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just looks really nice. It's this whole like thing, kind of shows how much extra work goes into doing something like this where the artist might do 20 covers and then and this this was it was a very nice collaboration because we never fought with anybody we were always just like wow these are all good and we all kind of just like voted and source point said what they liked we said what we liked robin said what he liked and uh and it's nice too because there's one that is is uh uh inspired from a photo of a of one of my nieces sitting and eating breakfast and Robin drew it so it's like a scary, damn cursed kid with like body parts on her plate. So that didn't make it to be a, a real cover, but now at least she can look at that and I could go, see, that's you. You almost made it. So she'll think that's cool. So <laughs> I almost loved you enough to get you on a comic book cover. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, the trade does have the incomplete series. Uh, the extra stuff that we just mentioned, but uh, mm-hmm. all the coverage will be in black and white. And a lot of people have asked us, have asked me, I don't know why they keep asking me that. I can't have to find out one day, but they've asked me if the covers inside uh, will be in color. They will not be. They'll be uh, grayscaled. Mm-hmm. So if you want truly colored covers, definitely chase the uh, back issues of the single issues mm-hmm. for sure. Because a lot of people thought they could get them. I'm like, I wish they were, but printing costs are not cheap so <laughs> we can't go that route yet so unfortunately it's going to be black and white and grayscaled so that's mm-hmm. how it is for the trade so. i'm gonna say yeah um um you know i you know i was gonna ask about you know um if robin was gonna have you know gonna have any of the you know his artwork in there but i mean it's incredible that already that he I mean, he, 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 it was like more, he got really involved into it. Yeah. Which is great, you know. And it, and Josh, thank you for letting me know about, you know, there's going to be also unused covers that's going to be in there too. 
Yeah, mm. I love that kind of stuff just as a comic reader. I like seeing yeah. all that behind the scenes, behind the scenes stuff. Okay. Um, I'm slowly going to be wrapping this up. So, um, obvious question. Will we see a sequel? Maybe. <laughs> well, I think a better question is, do you people out there want to see a sequel or sequels? In Florida mm -hmm. possible? If you do, let Square Press know, like, and uh, but not just us, because obviously we want to. Yeah. <laughs> that goes without saying. But let Source Print Press know. Let even your comic book shop uh, owners know, and then they can message Source Print Press about that. Because um, the more that we know that people want mm -hmm. this kind of uh, story material, then we can build it for sure. We can make, we can build it. They will come, but we can definitely. Put it together for you guys because we want to. We have ideas. We have things we want to do. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to be to be straight up, we are working on ideas, fleshing out an idea. I guess we would say, I guess we're going to call it, for a possible sequel. But it, we can't say it's going to happen for sure. That's not, that's an that's an impossibility for me to say that because we have to definitely talk to the powers that be at Sourceborn Press. Yeah, make sure that. It works out for them as well as ourselves and then to see if there's a demand for it so you know that so that one thing that we have no control over mm -hmm. is if people want it yeah <laughs> yeah we can't we can't make you want it we would love to mm -hmm. <laughs> but you have to let you know definitely let us know by talking and emailing uh source front press uh on social media or emailing mm -hmm. them directly just letting them know that you would like to see more yeah. Um, that helps any title, not just ours, but any title, any indie title out there, because especially now with the conventions just starting to roll back out, there's no legit way of us knowing uh, how people uh, if people want more or not, mm -hmm. or they're just satisfied with this and that's it. So it's one of those things where as a reader, a fan, or a shop owner, you have the ability to change the fate of entire title and, and everybody who's involved in that title, the entire creative team, by saying that you want to see more, you want to have it on your shelf in your store, you want to have it, in your, you have another one in your collection. You have the ability to do that. Same way that Josh and I get books in the library, they won't order books that they don't know about. They don't know people want it until you're told that people want it. So it's the same thing for us. Same same kind of uh, system where you let you let your, the publisher know that. You want more of X, Y, and Z titles, um, and it builds it builds steam. It really does. It sounds like you know, your voice will be in the wind. It won't be because it helps. Mm -hmm. It definitely helps uh, us to do more because we want to do more. Josh and I definitely want to do more. We've talked to Robin. Robin is totally on board to do more. Mm -hmm. um, it's a world and universe that we love. Um, we we were laughing our asses off when we were writing it. We enjoyed getting pages from Robin and him going to town. It made every day a great day when we got art in from him, for sure. Mm -hmm. Then, I, then I made it. Then, I, then I made him cry when I put, you know, the balloons and words on because I lettered it. So, but, <laughs> um, but you know, seriously, uh, for anyone listening, definitely to support your title. Besides buying it and buying the trade and telling other people to buy, it, tell the publisher that you want to see more when the series is done. Mm -hmm. because it helps everybody including them including including the publisher as well because they i mean that's part of the things that they do they, they don't know they, they're throwing the dice like anybody else and see yeah. which titles will make it and which which one would be popular they have no idea mm -hmm. um and it's, they don't they don't only based on sales but if there's a fan base or uh you know shop owner base 
mm-hmm. tells them directly that we want more. Yeah. Um, then it helps a lot. It really does. So definitely take the time to do that. Uh, we, both Josh and I and Robin would greatly appreciate if you include the Empress Children's Universe or titles, if you want to call it that, um, to be part of that uh, effort of yours. Josh, do you want to add anything? No, just that, yeah, like we, we'd love to work on something else. Howard and I are always tossing around ideas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, letting the publisher know that you guys want to read another mini series in this mm-hmm. world. If you can afford it and you've already bought the mini series, buy the trade, buy mm-hmm. the trade for a friend, order at the library, let, mm-hmm. let people know that, uh, that you want to see more from us. And uh, yeah, we would love to have another, another round of comics in the future. Okay. Um, is there anything you guys are working on? Um, any new projects that you guys can talk about, whether it's a collaboration together or separately? Is there anything you guys can talk about? I can talk about working on a one shot that I'll be uh, having out of uh, Swiss Prime Press that I'm doing with Robin. And then the reason, reason was for that was he, he kind of, he drew it a, bil- a billion years ago before Dan Chris Children. And it was almost done um, it was almost done way back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was like on it like 10 pages out of inking <laughs> out and stuff. And uh, I, I mean, we t- I, t- I showed Sourceware and Press a million, like at the same time I, sh- I showed about Dan Chris Children, I showed them that as well to show them that you can draw and ink and stuff and whatnot. And they wanted it too. But I'm like, okay, we'll do Dan Chris Children first because that's something that I think has legs versus the other thing that I'm doing because it's, it's been so long that I think it, it has technically been done now <laughs> by other people, unfortunately, but so they, they still want to do it, which is great. Um, and it really showcases uh, Robin's art in a whole different light, which is cool. Uh, definitely uh, still a horror genre, mm-hmm. but definitely not the same kind of thing that we did with, uh, with the, uh, Dampers children. So it's really interesting to see how people will respond to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just happy for him to not waste all that time he did all, they did that work for that uh, for that uh, one shot because honestly, that one shot uh, was to see if we could do it. They couldn't uh-huh. actually do a comic book before he jumped on to Dampers children way yeah. back in the day. And he did it. And I was like, okay, you are definitely dedicated enough to do a five issue because the five issue miniseries is 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 is, is really tough uh and demanding on our, on anybody so mm-hmm. if you can't do it one issue easily or one shot easily uh, five issues is going to kill you like, like legitly you're not going to live after that mm-hmm. uh be it mentally or physically or both so i'm glad that he got that out so that's something that uh we're working on that hopefully will be coming out Maybe near the end of two thousand, you know, at the end of the year or the beginning of next year, we'll see. Uh, I'm not pushing him to, to to kill himself to do it because it's technically almost done. And you know, I, he he wanted to tweak the pages because they're very old. They're like mm-hmm, super yeah. super old. His art obviously changed, and I was like, they look great to me. You don't need to change anything because that means you're redrawing it again. I don't need to redraw it. Just. You know, we'll let people know. We'll have a disclaimer every time we do a podcast or whatever and saying, 
this is from this drawn from this decade. Um, <laughs> so you can see the evolve the R. Robin's art evolved from this decade to Dan Chris Children. In fact, by both, you can compare yourself <laughs> his, his artwork. Um, rather than that, for comic book wise, um, I not much I can talk about. There are yeah. things that I am in discussions with about. Uh, other things uh, outside of comic books. I'm working with National Geographic on. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to skirt the NDAs here. Uh, content development uh, for mixed media. I think that's the best way I can describe what I'm doing. It's it's weird and bizarre and awesome at the same time. What I'm doing, it's a lot of work involved, a lot of research. So uh -huh. it's National Geographic. So it's a lot of uh, real science involved but also a lot of narratives that uh, being, are being developed. So I'm not the only person involved, obviously, it's a team of us. Um, so it's really cool. Um, and especially me, for being me, they able to, to talk to Nat Geo explorers who are like uh, scientists and doctors mm -hmm. or, um, you know, uh, media people. It's, it's really weird because it's like, I'm just a stupid comic book writer. <laughs> what am I doing here? You guys are like, People who do TED Talks and stuff, but here we are <laughs> during this having this meeting and me making stuff up for you. So it, it's it's a really interesting project uh, that you know hopefully uh, I can talk about more in depth when we're done. But it's gonna be, definitely gonna be a while. It's one of those long term projects for sure. That's gonna take a lot of uh, effort to get uh, out there. So that's pretty cool. And rather than that, not much I can talk about. Um, in some work I did in the past for Bungie, which I definitely can't talk about, but it was like development stuff. Uh, for what I can't tell you, mm -hmm. for, but that's that was a fun thing to do, you know, uh, with with a, especially for a team of people who, you know, it means Bungie, so you know they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> so you know, every time I open my mouth or send them something, it's always that question. You question yourself as to. Is this good enough for Bungie? Because to me, it's okay. But as you, after you send it, you start, you know, second guessing yourself. But then, when you have those meetings with those guys, and you know, you find out they're just as geeky as you are, it, it makes everything so great. So that was a great experience, and uh, hopefully, I can talk about the things that I am possibly doing in comic books with licensed properties in the near future. But right now, it's way too early to discuss. Oh, I am, I am helping edit. Um, the Book of Mirror for, with for Afua Richardson, who recently had a well, I won't say recent, but fairly recently had a Kickstarter, which is coming out of through Image Comics. Okay. Which is her first creator-owned uh, opus, I would say, definitely an opus, because it's a book uh, story about uh, herself and her life, uh, told in a fantastical way. So she, her world building um, and character development is insane like i can't tell anybody because i read it i read it but it's absolutely madness and uh her space of night editing is is totally one-sided because i don't think i should be editing it but here i am editing it um and it's crazy because every time i like I say suggest a change it's sort of like this is her life story what the hell do i know what the hell would i know about her life story but I'm I'm doing the, I'm doing what I can to make it um, flow as as good as it can. Uh, you know, to really spotlight these areas that uh, she may not think that's important and amazing. Which you know, as a reader, like I'm I'm obviously reading it for the first time myself. Mm -hmm. Are very interested in these parts, and you should expand on these parts. And yeah. you know, 
you know, show more of that mm -hmm. uh, versus some other thing that you think is what people want, you know? Yeah. So I'm helping that way with that. So that's one of those projects where I'm so happy working on it and especially yeah. working with a friend that I've been wanting to work with for year, like decades, actually. I didn't say years, decades. Um, that I wanted to work with and work with me and work with on something. So this is, you know, it turned out to be, you know, her first personal, you know, jaunt and create her own pro and create her own create her own series so i'm very excited about that so i keep forgetting to talk about that too which is terrible <laughs> so definitely putting it out there for people mm -hmm. to hear so if you haven't already supported that book you know find it i don't know if it's when it's going to solicit be solicited uh, but if it is definitely order it it's worth every dime it's an amazing book she's putting her heart and soul into that so definitely check it out so for josh josh the next thing I have out is a short piece that I did with Paolo Monte, who did my Flip Volume 2 story. And it's a superhero romance. It's either going to be four two-page stories or one full eight-page. I'm going to pitch it to a few different places that mm -hmm. it could work as little backup story in a book. So that's pretty much done. So that that's the next thing that's complete. And then just this project that Howard and I are working on together like I said, I've got about one issue done, mm -hmm. uh, five yeah. issues. And that's really what I'm going to try to concentrate on the next little while of, even if we don't know if we have a home for it yet, it's, I just want to kind of get that done. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to keep scripting it and then giving those script pages to Howard and he'll give me notes and dialogue and stuff. And I'll mm -hmm. put his notes back in and just, we'll, we'll go back and forth again, just as we did with damn Chris children. So that's kind of next on my agenda for my, my, my writing creativity is getting that project a, a little bit closer to completion. Oh, okay. All right. So um, I'm going to wrap this up. So again, where can listeners find you guys on social media? Gosh, you could start off first. Sure. <clears throat> I'm not superb on social media, but I am under the tag bat turtle on Facebook and bat turtle underscore Mayfair on Instagram. And then more of my time is spent doing Mayfair Theater social media, and that is at Mayfair Theater on Instagram and mm -hmm. Twitter. And then I also co-host the Mayfair Theater podcast, which you can find on all the normal podcast places where we mm -hmm. talk about the Mayfair Theater and just kind of movie stuff. So even if you're not from Ottawa, you can still tune in and hear about the adventures of running an independent cinema and us talking about geeky stuff for half an hour or so every week. Yeah, definitely do that. It's definitely, and also the you guys are doing like sales of posters, and I don't know if you have any more thirty-five millimeter trailers to be sold. We do, but... yeah. So, and that's fun too. Like, we I I actually just sent a, we found a bunch of posters that are for mini festivals we've had. So they're really cool posters, but because they were made specifically for that event, we can't really use them again because if we do another Indiana Jones triple bill or back to future triple bill, the prices, the dates, the times will be different. So, you know, there's that nerd sense of being a hoarder where you're like, we should just keep all these forever, but both to kind of make a couple bucks. And because it's more fun for our patrons to have this out, it's kind of fun that our patrons might be able to point at their wall and say, this is a poster from the Mayfair or point at their bookshelf and go, this is a 35 millimeter trailer from the Mayfair we've been kind of garage sailing off a bunch of stuff. So just the other day I sent off um, a 35 millimeter trailer and a Indiana Jones triple bill poster down to the States. And the guy who bought the poster was thrilled to have it. He actually noticed my social media post. So even before I had a chance to advertise what posters we had, 
-hmm. he told this lovely story of road tripping up from New York State to come to the Mayfair to see the Indiana Jones triple bill a few years ago. And so he was, so I sent that to him. So yeah, so if you are a fan of independent cinema and want a little bit of treasure, check out our website and we're selling old 35 millimeter trailers, marquee tiles, festival posters, and we're selling off our marquee for rentals, which people have done, even if they're not in town, we can take a picture of it for you. Uh, so yeah, all kinds of fun stuff that is the silver lining of these lockdown times we are in. So whether you're local to Ottawa or from around the world, you can toss a couple bucks our way. Oh, we're also doing virtual cinema, which is weird because we're a movie theater and we're essentially a video store now. We're a streaming service now. And right now we have, I think, I think three short film collections and five feature films. And it's pretty neat because a lot of these are films that aren't available on Blu-ray or aren't available on other streaming services. They're, they're, old retro rarities or new independent films and so if you rent that for eight or ten bucks or whatever the price is half the price or half the profits go to the mayfair and the other half goes to support an independent film distributor so it's uh it's a pretty fun thing so no matter where you are on earth you can you can pretend you're going to the mayfair and watch a movie and help support us so yeah so and then hopefully much more of my time will be spent running the mayfair in about a month or so, I hope. So let's <laughs> let's all keep our fingers crossed that we're we're tiptoeing back towards a normal world. Definitely. Uh, for me, there's two uh, places that you can find everything that mm -hmm. where I'm on. So I recently put this together. So let me find this out here. So I'm on Linktree. So it's l i n k t r dot e e mm -hmm. backslash the real Howard Wong. So that has uh, links to my blog, uh, Facebook, Twitter, mm -hmm. Instagram, YouTube, you name it. Uh, but if that's, if you want to go straight to my blog, which it also has links to my social media accounts, you can go to howard-wong.blogspot.com. Mm -hmm. Any last words to our listeners? Uh, last words. Good question. If you've read the book, yeah, if you've read the book, I'm just... We're both, we're all very thankful. It's been a very nice little ride these last few months. Uh, who would have known, you know, like that it was a nice distraction against this terrible thing that our planet is going through, but it's been so much fun talking with folks and hearing from comic stores and hearing from readers. So we are very glad that you enjoyed it. And if you haven't read it, we hope that this didn't spoil the hell out of it for you. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, go check it out. There, there, it's a very fun book and you'll like it. And then hopefully we'll get to tell more stories in this world in the future. Absolutely. Uh, do support your local comic book shop. Uh, buy back issues uh, from Source Point Press of Dankers Children. Maybe some shops still have some. I don't know. Uh, do order the trade. The trade uh, is available at all local comic book shops to order. Uh, you can use the code uh, MAY as in May. 211 711 but if you have no comic book shops near you you can order directly from source point press website as well as bookstores which is our, our first ventures into bookstores so uh simon schuster is carrying it uh barnes and noble is carrying it uh indigo in canada is carrying it and there's also another bookstore which i just brain farted again which is in asia uh kino 
See, I'm, I just, I just, I just literally forgot. I ever forgot, but it's actually the biggest Japanese chain bookstore in Asia. I'm terrible at <laughs> marketing, aren't I? Basically, you have yeah. no excuse not to get this book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, um, I don't know. If, you know what? I have, this is one thing I don't know is if the trade will be available digitally because we are like everywhere in digital as well, from Comicology to you name it. We're like every drive-through comic book. A bunch that I'm definitely missing. It's a lot because SourcePoint Press is amazing to keep making new contracts with these uh, distributors, which is amazing. So sometimes it'd be like, we have another one this week. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. So if you if you want to read uh, the singles, uh, single mm -hmm. issues digitally, they are available right now yes. at your fingertips. So you can do that as well. So there's a lot of different ways of getting it. I guess the last way would be to steal it from your friend, but you know, that's not great. But you know, if you do that, do post on social media, let us know. Cause you know, who knows that you, know, you, you, you like our comic more than your friend to do so. So with that, um, support local comics, support indie, indie press, support all the titles that you like and let them know, let the world know that you do, that you do so that you can make more. Howard and Josh, you know, a couple things, you know, first off, thank you very much for, reaching out to me to let me know that you know uh, you guys wanted to come back on the show to promote damn cursed children i'm glad we had the opportunity to you know talk about you know the whole series you know um to our listeners you know i just want to say if like if you guys haven't checked out the series the, the trade comes out on july 28th it's very good you know it's you know um I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Um, the the storytelling, the artwork, you know, um, I love it because the thing is, again, there's there's no tropes, there's no scenes that pull you out of the world. Because when I read when I read all five issues, I mean, I got sucked into the world. So and you know that's what I loved about it. So you know, again, listeners, if you guys get a chance, you know, you know. I, you know, again, Damn Cursed Children, the trade paperback comes out from Source Point Press. It comes out on July 28th. And again, Howard and Josh, you know, thank you for your time. And thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you very much. Well, no th problem. Thank you for, thank, no problem at all. Thank you for having us. I mean, it's always been a fun time with you. And, you know, and the, and for people who don't know, Jason sent us like amazing gifts from Hawaii that i been enjoying throughout this podcast, which was a big, a big giant mug of coffee. From <laughs> one of the things he sent us uh, over from Hawaii, which is crazy. Like I'm still, my mind still boggles every time I look at my pantry. I'm like, that's this is from Hawaii. I'm going to drink it now. <laughs> so, so thank you for doing that. This lifted our spirits and uh, my family's spirits as well, who ate most of the chocolate. But you know, hey, <laughs> it's so very, very well received. I'm very thankful. And I appreciate your kind words. I, it really means a lot to us. Every time we hear people's responses to Damn Chris Children, it, it, it does, it never gets, it never get, and it, we never get tired of it because we don't know. When we create something, it's a void. So we really appreciate all the words and all the, you know, really, you know, all your honest opinions about it because it helps us move forward and become better creators for you guys. So really, really thank you. We want to say thank you to you for your kind words for that. I'm going to ask Josh if you want to add anything else before I wrap this up. Uh, no, I don't think so. Just uh, again, thanks for having us on. 
And uh, thank you for those macadamia nuts. They were the best things I've ever had. I couldn't believe if, if I would have had a bag of those, like the size of, you know, a giant bag of chips, I would just eat them all in one go. So. <laughs> well, um, like I said, it was just, it was just to say thank you guys for coming on to the show the first time. So thank you very much. No problem. Um, I want to thank, um, I want to thank, uh, you know, I want to thank Drew, the co-host for Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. So, Drew, thank you very much. He's the guy who's, he's my friend who does all the hard work behind the scenes. Um, and if you are a new listener, please check out, you know, new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners, for your time and listening to this episode. Thank you very much. Until next time, guys, aloha. Aloha. Uh, aloha. <laughs>